excuse Cause you're always late or waiting totally rude I mean Yeah uh, Welcome yeah. to podcast number eight Yeah It's recording uh, Welcome, we're recording Good, yes I'm Glad to have you, Brad Glad to be nice here to Nice to meet you what, now, one of who you is Brad? Larry, one of you is Larry's daughter. I don't know which one, though, right? One without the cat ears. Yeah. Normally, I have um, cat ears, but yeah. it's too hot. So. <laughs> they retract under your school. Nice to, I have nice them. The wolf ears. And, and Rebecca is my eye doctor's daughter, so it's still an incestuous group of people. Yeah. <laughs> They're my adopted sister and my adopted grandfather. No, that's not good. Incest. It doesn't mean incest. Incest. Okay, never mind. No. I get you. I get you. Writers. I use that word all the time, but. Now, Dad, tell us who who Brad is and why you wanted him on here, and then uh, we'll start asking Brad some stuff. Well, we should probably first set up so Brad knows that this creatively unworthy um, site is really designed to help young people that that don't really get a lot of encouragement um, who are say dyslexic and ADD in the normal education system. So I wrote this thing about creativity. It cannot be outsourced, artificially engineered or intentionally designed. And yet there are millions of talented, intelligent and creative people labeled worthless by an out-of-date educational model that rewards academic achievement over natural ability or sometimes hidden abilities. So that's what this is about. We try to bring out hidden skills. And I thought you, I don't know if you're dyslexic or ADD. I don't think you're either, but I know you're creative because you're, you're working in a very creative um, it's also for anyone that's creative. Anyone that's creative that that wants to learn what tips and tricks we use to protect that creativity and our confidence while we're creating. So it's it's not just for dyslexic or ADD people. It's for anyone. And right. and it sounds like you're creative in your the computer business in line of work. So that's why. Sorry. Brad's a computer scientist. Data yeah, scientist. that's pretty. Data scientist, excuse me. Data. So you might explain what you're doing. What's that? I missed that. Explain, explain what you do and how and and how creativity affects your job or what you do. So a, a data scientist, for those um, that haven't heard of that, it's um, a relatively new term for um, kind of the intersection of statistician and computer scientists. Um, and it, it, it also kind of interweaves a lot of other disciplines. But um, so like a day-to-day for me, to kind of put that plainly, is making computer models that predict things, um, modeling risk for finance. I work in the financial industry, farm credit system, actually. Um, so trying to get ahead of risks in quantitative ways. Um, and that involves writing code, designing programs, and um, really getting problems thrown at me that required creativity along with very rigid structured logical things like like writing code and managing complex projects so um, 
so for my day job, and I also have a lot of other outside pursuits that are creative. We can talk about that maybe if it's relevant. But you know, in yeah. my day job, I'll have you know a C and you know a C-suite level person. So the CFO they'll ask me something, um, just a random question, and I'll have to you know find a novel solution to that. And that starts with the whiteboard and me writing down what I know and you know these these solutions that are designed they're not something i can touch like a desk they're conceptual it's pieces of code here programs here and i'm really a, a tactile person i mean i, I i'm a visual and i do things like that so i like to actually design it um and see it and so i can almost touch it so i'll always design these systems on a whiteboard or a chalkboard and then go into there and it kind of helps you you know abstract these complex ideas you know, I, I read I read a story about MIT that MIT, and I don't know if you have any dyslexic things that have. I don't I don't think I do. I mean, I, I have the the only thing I do have is the ADD that's been designed by computers and and apps in the last ten years. But I think everyone has that. So everyone has it. <laughs> the MIT is is called the the computer science department. Is called the home of the dyslexic scientists. I mean, these guys are all, you know, it's a very um, uh, weird group. Anyway, I read I read a little bit about them. Well, you're you're right about that because I'm I'm kind of an anomaly where I didn't start out in computer science. I started out in business. My undergrad and my master's degree are all in business administration. So I really kind of learned how businesses work, and then I learned the technical computer stuff. Just so I could make more money because people were paying data scientists quite a bit. So, um, but the people that took the traditional role to a data scientist where they were starting out in computer science, things like that. I mean, I don't like to make generalizations, but a lot of them are, you know, probably on that type of spectrum where, you know, they, they might have Asperger's or, or things like that. And they don't, mm. where, where they, where they fall short, which is actually the most important part is they can't communicate their ideas. Yeah. So ah. my example before with, you know, the CFO coming to me, um, they come to me directly now because they know that I can actually communicate and answer their question. And I've had colleagues that are way smarter than me, just in mathematics and everything, and they have better solutions, but they can't communicate it. So, you know, they fall to the wayside. So that's, you're, I think you're right about that MIT observation. It's definitely holds true from what I've seen in my career. Mm -hmm. And communication, I mean, that's really a big, well, obviously that's one of the biggest component of making a living and live and lie, everything is being able to communicate. But so many people that are creative can't communicate. You know, as we call this the, cre the creatively unworthy, what happens when you can't communicate, especially if you start off that way at a younger age, um, you get, you, you end up, with you know a lot of shame and so forth and so then you end up feeling like you're never worthy of uh, like why in the world would you be in this position you know that you can do all this forecasting and hear these really smart guys come in and ask you and you might think to yourself well i'm not you know why well you did you actually said that as you were describing yourself you know here they're way smarter than i am you know well according to who you know they probably yeah i'm sure they think you're way smarter than they are you know yeah, on the on the face, you know, if you compared us in a room and interviewed us, 
I would interview a lot better because I can explain these concepts, even though I may only understand them intrinsically. And these way smarter people, they can explain them, you know, like the back of their hand. So it's, it's all about how you present yourself. And it's, you know, it's something that they don't teach you in school. That's for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't remember taking a speech class in school either, or, or having that be an option even. I just remember taking lots of tests. Drama class was the only place I really learned how to communicate to groups of people. Drama class and choir. Uh, but other than that, it was pretty test-focused. Uh, test, test focused. Yeah. Yeah. Communication yeah. definitely is a more creative pursuit because you always see the super book-oriented uh, people fail when it comes to communicating. Well, if you see a, a, a class and it's labeled communication, you can pretty much bet your life on it is not about communicating. You know, they'll talk about it, but they don't, you know, I've seen those classes and it's like, what? what? How, how do you, how does this, you know, they're talking, it's like, it's like they mix the menu with the meal, you know, they're talking about the menu and not the meal. And the meal is being able to communicate. How, it doesn't matter if you're, an, well, when you're an artist, if you're a singer, like Kristen does, or, you know, if you're um, a poet, like Rebecca is, you know, they communicate through, you know, through those functions. And you communicate through whatever you, I guess, I don't well, it's talking, but also numbers, right? Did yeah, I, I took a broadcast communications class in high school, and the majority of the class was learning how to use the edit software, which is the old school wheel. Like you didn't even get to broadcast anything until you learned how to operate the machine. Uh, so communicating didn't even, I didn't even get to that part. I didn't even get to be, you know, how they do the uh, morning announcements or things like that. Yeah. Like we had our little TV station, but it was so overwhelming learning how to use the software that I, I was just like, this is boring. I'm going to go back to drama class and just get straight to that fun part. For me, communicating is fun, but having to sit and learn those machines, it was just, oh, I was like, oh, I'm so tired of this class. Give me the good stuff. Like, where's the nerd that can help me figure out this? <laughs> now I'm our, the nerd. <laughs> part of our premise, Brad, in this, in this podcast is that, um, you know, that so much, so many things that kids learn, you're never going to use when you get out of high school or college, you know, very little practically you know math i mean but very little do you use when you when the you checkbook. school they, they tried for like a month to teach us the checkbook i've never had to use the checkbook thing yeah. i mean and and yet you've got if you're if you're a you know i want to say a low functioning dyslexic or if somebody has a lot of add um it doesn't matter that you could be the most creative person in the world. If you can't get through the education system or get the degree or get the, 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 um, the proper registration to do what it is you do, you're not gonna ever you know, see your full potential. That's kind of, that's where 
I see I want this thing to go is how how do we help you know young people reach their potential when when society is declaring that um, what you have is a is a is a deficit. You know, last time I talked to a, a school, I, I've spoke to schools that that all of the kids were um, super ADD and um, and dyslexic. Usually the two go together. There's a common link. But what we're we're saying is that the 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 reason for the ADD in a lot of cases is to create dopamines, get your mind to think. And when your mind is thinking, you know, then you're creative and you come up with all these solutions. But if you're bored out of your mind, um, you're going to strike, you're, you're going to, you're either going to quit or you're going to strike out. In the, in the case of the school I talked to in New Jersey, all of the students had been kicked out of the regular schools and they were in this particular school because they couldn't function in in a, in a public school or private school setting. Matter of fact, one of the kids, they said, yeah, not all the kids are there because one of the kids was was at his murder trial. And they're like, whoa, he just <laughs> shot his teacher, you know? So these were like the extreme, extreme kids. What, when I, got up and I started talking, what I know with these kids, I hooked them. You know, or the, how I hooked them was I told a story about how being ADD and dyslexic saved my life in Vietnam. And I started talking about the war. Bang. I had, you know, they were all listening like that. It was really, really fun to see the reactions. You know, the more you talk about that, you know, the, the school system in America since the early 1900s has been based on the, the Prussian system, right? Which is, it's made for making good rule followers, which, yes, you, you know, when I was, in elementary school, uh, I, I goofed off a lot. I was an underachiever, they, they said, because by the time the teacher was done with the lesson, I was already done with all the worksheets and I was just out, I was just first one done. So they put us in like um, classes, I think they called them like reach or something. I don't know if that's still around, but it was like, it was like classes for like gifted kids, they called it. You probably yeah, call it there's a different name anymore. for each of them. In my school, I think it was like rocket or something. Yeah, it was, it's an acronym apparently. I don't Advanced placement. Yeah, it was what they called it for me. And all the people in there, they weren't like your cookie cutter good students. They were people like me that were, you know, they were just super bored because they they knew it right away. And it was it's kind of interesting mm -hmm. how to say that, but we didn't we didn't fit in the right the mold. And you know, there was a way for them to, to kind of mold us. And I know not every school system has that, so I imagine a lot of the the world is you know, suffering because of that. Well, they, yeah. there's always- why I like Waldorf school so much. Yeah, there's a big push. There's a big push to try. They will tell you that they have programs for just, you know, for dyslexic and ADD students, but they really don't. I mean, it, and it, it all comes down to, to the finances. You know, they, they're, they, in order to get money, you know, they've got to reach a certain standard or a certain test requirement. And so that really preclude, and, and if you're going to run a program for what they would call slower students, that takes your time away, that takes time away from the other students and it takes money out of your pocket, so to speak, if you're an administrator. So they give, they'll talk about it, but all of the, a lot of those programs, they started off trying to do that. They've, uh, unless it's a, a specific school or the parents take them out and, 
have special tutoring for them. It's just not in the public system. I ended up going on homeschool senior year because I was so bored. Like I just didn't need to sit in that classroom all day. It just, it made sense. Like I was getting straight A's. I just, I gave up on the teachers kind of, I guess. <laughs> I was like, I can do this much faster on my own. Just give me the damn books and the tests and I'll do your work. Uh, I just couldn't, it wasn't helping me be authentic. It was helping me be a rule follower, cookie cutter, the same, not authentic, not, how am I supposed to follow my artistic dreams if I'm being told that that's wrong? You know, you gotta focus on tests and not letting the music with you. And they don't teach you what's your unique ability. You know? Yeah, mm -hmm. I kind of went the opposite way. Like I rebelled and would do the minimum with a lot of classes if I could get away with it. Or the only things I tried really hard were, were things that really like got my imagination. Like it was really good at the sciences because like it started with learning about the planets and it's like, oh, space. It's like the coolest thing to a kid, right? So, you know, I got really yeah. good at that and the teacher would let me go into the back and clean the telescopes because I'd be done before everybody else. And then I'd get to play with them in the front yard. So it was like, but all my other classes, like you'd think that I was an idiot because it's all F's and C's and D's. Oh and man. Until like college, I started actually putting effort into it because you know, yeah. you fail out of all your college classes. So that's yeah. a good story. Well, in being authentic and being the wild card, the, the special class student in adult life has helped in story producing, which I do for a living. Now, my I've been able to find, I'm really good at taking random conversations and creating a, a whole complete thought um, and making it exciting for the viewers uh, that like to watch TV. And that's fun, it's fun. T storytelling is fun, but that's the communication skill that I've been craving uh, to exercise. And so I kind of lucked out in that way because I can be working at a bank and probably want to blow my head out off, you know, or out. Out. <laughs> to brag about just out. a little bit. What I knew that she was different in, um, like from my son and from other kids when like, I, you know, when the cell phones first came out and there was a lot of, um, you know, like my age group, nobody knew how to use it. it would be and I, and I couldn't figure out some stuff and I would give it to Kristen and she would have no training on it and would start pushing buttons and then hand it back to me and it would work. And I thought, well, that was interesting. And I saw her do this yesterday. We're, we're editing some videos and I've got a PC, she's got a Mac, you know, so she's got the great software. Well, I don't, I'm not, I don't know anything about, the, uh, I don't have an editing program. She goes into my computer, finds this, you know, the, the, the editing program that, that Microsoft gave us and it's there and she had no idea how to work it. And within like two minutes was editing my, my videos. And, that's, and I'm looking at like, I couldn't even find that, the, the, the app and she's already doing the editing, you know? So that's her skill is she's kind of a wild card in, in, um, in that direction where versus me, I'm, I'm 
I, I score high on, it's what's called, um, uh, um, I forget what the term is, but I don't need a lot of information to make a decision. A quick, I'm a quick start. So it's great. We've talked about, um, Brad and I got together because he's writing a book about uh, a soldier that was my platoon sergeant in Vietnam. This guy was a great guy and we're talking oh, about this. And, and I was, I went from the guy sitting in the back of the classroom to the head of the class when I got into the war because it's, you know, it's all visual and it's all tactile and it's, you know, you're making it up as you go, as you go along. And, it, and, and for, and for me, it was, I hate to say war was fun. I don't mean that sounds terrible <laughs> to say it, but it was the most exciting and fun part of my life. Yeah. It was stimulating for it was stimulating. your senses. Massive. In a way that school probably never filled in. No, it didn't. School yeah. was, I wanted to. Plus it really promoted your unique abilities from your upbringing, having to be aware of the mood people are in and having to be aware of danger. And so you're already really good at that. You put a guy like my dad in war scenario, he's going to thrive because he's really good protector. He's really good um, stealth. Like he, thank God, thank God dad is so good at being in war because otherwise I wouldn't be here. And, uh, you know, I really enjoyed my life. So thank you for being good at that. You know, you brought up, you said the word Asperger's earlier, and I just saw Saturday Night Live had Ian Musk on, and he said he's got it, you know, being somebody with Asperger's. And for people... Elon Musk? Yeah. Damn. Well, yeah, people don't know it, but they, he has, people have trouble understanding him, not what he says, but his facial expressions never change. That's what Asperger's, mm. a lot of what Asperger's is. And people will think somebody's mad at you and they're not. They're just listening to, you know, they they don't they're they don't have an effect like, you know, we're looking at each other's faces trying to figure out if you are understanding what we're saying or or not. If you like what you're saying, yeah. yeah. And so that's a, you know, for somebody like that who is, you know, a genius, obviously, a lot of people um, are gonna get him. You know, they don't they don't yeah. get who he is. Yeah. Comes back to yeah. Like it sounds like Brad, you have a tip for us for the everyone listening, which is you start by using a whiteboard and writing down what you know, and then so your whiteboard is kind of like your toolkit. That's the very base beginning where you start, right? Is that what you were saying? Yeah, That's I mean, your, so I, communicating. I also, I also write in oil paint and I have very similar, I feel like my process for all three things is almost the same, where I write down what I know. So in the case of writing some code, I write down the variables I know and the things I know people want. In the case of oil painting, I will, you know, I'll put the outlines in with chalk or something underneath and, you know, lay out the, the major salient pieces. And um, yeah. writing, you make an outline and, you know, it's all kind of this, the same idea so it's and I, I was doing that long before I was you know out of high school and college so it's it's kind of something that's innate to, to, to me so I didn't really need any training on building software but 
after I started, you know, writing code and building software, I looked around and I saw that that's what everyone else was already doing. And I, it was just kind of natural to me. So that's awesome. I feel like building any, if you build anything, the process is almost the same and learning to get better at it for me, um, it, it starts in my perspective with copying the masters, right? So um, in like the, the broke period, like 16, 1700s, um, oil painters, they'd be an apprentice to like, let's say mm -hmm. Rembrandt. Mm -hmm. And they would copy his his works, and you know they would they would even paint a lot of his his works, like the underpainting, and he would go in and do the last couple of glazes and call it his own. Wow! And you know when I was starting to learn oil painting, that's what I would do is I would I would copy I would make copies like a lot of them, and I do the same thing when I'm writing code. So I can look at other people's open source code, so free code that's on the internet, and I can look at it and see how someone I admire like solve this problem and then apply that you know transfer learning to my problems and you know it's it's, it's the same thing right and when yeah. i was talk i talked to larry about this a couple of weeks ago and you know i've always felt unworthy just because now i'm realizing now that i've talked to larry it's because whenever i look at what i do i'm comparing it to a rembrandt mm -hmm. or a row thing like that or i'm comparing it to this this stellar code that is just you know a dime piece and I don't know if that's bad, but it definitely keeps me motivated. So, yes, <laughs> you know, as long as you're aware of it, it, as long as you're aware of it, it's not bad. What What's bad is when you're not aware of it, and then you, you know, you start you to build up up. resentment and jealousy, yeah. and all these other things. But what What's funny is you describe the way you paint. I've I've told you I paint, right? Yeah, yeah. And, well, there uh, is in the back. Yeah, mm -hmm. they're behind you. Yeah, they're, they're everywhere. They're on, they're on that wall. And they're on this. I don't know if you've seen this. The one. ceiling. They're all I over the ceiling. They're all over the ceiling. They're everywhere. And they're over there. And the, anyway, um, I didn't have a lot of paintings um, from, from my childhood or from college because everybody bought them. You know, I <laughs> Yeah. I, 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 painted, I painted a I painted a um, a copy of uh, of Picasso's Gerdata, you know that great big one that was you know that's thirty feet by by sixteen feet that's in the museum. So I went and I, I went I saw it in New York I think, and I came I was in college and I came back and I got some big canvases I measured it out and so I made it the same you know in relative, and one of my teachers happened to, or one of the props had come by my apartment for an unrelated reason saw this painting and start and like you know said, what would you what would you take for you know and i i, I just put it in my rent which was like four hundred dollars that month and he gave yeah. so, you know gave me a check on the spot so i never had any pain i've got nothing from my past you know they're i sold them. So cool. but i never but, i never thought i was a painter I, I, you know, I'd never call myself an artist, or even uh, though yeah. that, that makes you an artist. So I mean, that makes both of you guys an artist. Yeah. Uh, and Rembrandt, awesome, amazing person to get inspiration from. Yeah. I feel like, like how you said, you never felt like a painter, and I bet you wouldn't call yourself a painter, right? You describe yourself as like a computer engineer or a, oh, whatever your job title is. Okay. But. Yeah. 
uh, I feel like that's part of being creatively unworthy because we look at people like that who have already like painted all these like beautiful works of art and we separate ourselves from them because we need to look at that to get inspired or we need to look at that to get references or whatever else but like in your story you said that even he would have people kind of like paint start it for him and then he'd finish it and touch up on it and it's like I bet he looks at other painters and gets references from them too and I bet he looks at his environment and incorporates that into his art but it's mm -hmm. like it we put ourselves separately from people like that and put them on a pedestal that they don't hold themselves from the kind of I know they, we're all artists because we're all making art you know but none of us are artists because we haven't made anything that's in a museum you know yeah sorry I'm not dead and selling a million paintings right now like yeah I just ran over to get ran over to get this my my favorite piece of writing and it's it was written December 7th 1941 proposal message to the Congress now what what you hear is, I mean, it starts off yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by the Naval and Air Forces of the Empire of Japan. Now, that's what you heard your whole life and everything. I happen to find Roosevelt's notes when he wrote that speech. And if you look at it, it says... Um, if you can see it there's so many cross outs and crossed out, crossed out the word a date that will live in history and he wrote the word infamy in it that's all the way through well what most writers do is they look at a published piece of writing and then they compare their writing which sucks to this and they've never seen they've never seen that you know this is this yeah. is what everything stephen king's done like this everything any writer's done i've seen his you know, his, his uh, he, and he's got a book that was, he came out a long time ago, like how to, everything you need to know about writing is, and he starts, and I know it sounds like some sleazy or cheesy, you know, writing course, but. That's a good book, actually. I've read it. That's a good read book. read that, right? Yeah, and yeah. he talks about this and, um, you know, how, how he learned how to, how to write. And, and, it, and it really was when one of his teachers edited his, his, his newsletter, which was a school news letter called the, the something puke or something, <laughs> some weird name, but he was an out there guy, you know, and he just needed a little, he just needed guidance or a coach or, or a mentor. And that's kind of what we hope some of these things that we talk about can become, uh, you know, little things that, oh, I didn't realize that everybody's writing isn't perfect the first time out the door like we all think we're printers and anybody who did that painting they just like it came to them from god it was like divine providence and just yeah. was beautiful instantly instead of this mess that ended up great at the end you know the first time i ever the first time i ever sold anything and this was before i still don't consider myself a painter but i sold and i started painting a lot more after this but i so I had an oncologist that I was really close with. I mean, he saved my life. And I had found, and this was right at like my five-year checkup. And um, I found a picture I had drawn of my hand. That's kind of like a common thing, right? Like a hand study. Um, like it was you know, for, like a pencil yeah. hand study. 
and I'd done that, you know, when I was in college. It was pretty old, and it was pretty pretty grotesque. And at this point, I'd been drawing a lot, and I had drawn a right next to it on the same piece of paper. I, I redrew my hand, and the difference was before my hand was normal, and then the, on the second, the afterwards, after you know, so the chemo, um, that's when my hand was like mutilated by this this um, plastic surgery because I had cancer in my hand. So I thought that might be kind of like a nice memento for my oncologist because, you know, he kind of saved my hand and saved my life. And um, he said, you know, he was he was touched and he asked me if I had anything else. And I said, yeah, I have some paintings at home. Mm-hmm. And I pulled up my phone and showed him pictures of them. And he's he said, OK, I'll give you a thousand dollars for each of those. And I yeah. was oh, no. and you don't consider yourself a painter. It doesn't yeah, what's count. That guy's phone number? Um, I want to call him up. I got some paintings to sell. Yeah. He might be a sucker. Maybe this isn't yeah. my crush. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. It goes to show. I, mean, I, I, I had no clue. You know, well, you was... can. I mean, what you have done. This is really cool because what you did is something we're trying to do. Right, Chris and I are, are trying to do right now, and writing this letter to people about the girls that I've been helping. How do you touch somebody's soul? So what you did was you touched that human part of that doctor's, you know, you touched his soul somehow. It really, you know, meant something to him. And so it wouldn't matter. He could have said 5,000, 10,000. It wouldn't matter. It was, he would have still paid whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. Yeah, it's the one of the only times in the last, my adult life, I've seen another, another grown man like tear up and he teared up in front of me. So I thought oh. that must that must mean something. Yeah. <laughs> My yeah. doctor, and he's kept every single painting or anything that his patients give him. Like, it's really special to him. Like, he has it, like, all around his office and in the house and, like, in his personal study. So, like, yeah. I read a great story. line yesterday, and it, and it was, it doesn't matter who it was from, but it, what it said was, um, it was, um, was, um, the best writing comes when you're uh, when when you're embarrassed about what you're writing. You know, when you're right at that point of being embarrassed. I've got it written down somewhere. I should find it. Mm. Arthur Miller wrote that. Yeah. It was Arthur Miller mm. that said that. You know, he when when he would start to write something, if he wasn't, if you know, because his that his plays touched people to to you know, death of the salesman. To where you know they're they're almost like Shakespeare. You know they're going to last forever. You know those kinds of stories. And he said, you know, he always tries to write where he's where when you think, you know what? I can't tell that. You know, it's too embarrassing. And that's what you should write. Yeah, that's the gold, especially working in TV. <laughs> yeah, yeah you look so naked and afraid. So I mean, yeah. it's all out there. Yeah, I don't know. So I can hear what she's whispering because I'm sure it's better than what we just filmed. <laughs> Sneaking up on your contestants. Oh, uh, yeah. The, naked and afraid. There's cameras everywhere and mics everywhere. So just catching the real, the real truth. Like, cause um, the truth is much far better than faking. Like you're just some badass. I want to see the struggle. Most people want to see the struggle. I I like when they succeed. Like I'm a fun 
kind of human. I, I don't enjoy watching people suffer. But unfortunately, the, the ratings tell us people love watching the suffering. And I'm sure it's the same in writing and songwriting. It, it just it's the true truth of being human instead of the bullshit. And of course, it's hard to talk about. They want to see Nobody. reality. They don't want to see happy, special, fun time. Pleasantville, you know? Like, Larry yeah. had me watch that. The quote from that girl who's the sister of the main character who's like, this place is kind of creepy. It is mm-hmm. kind of creepy. Wouldn't it be nope. everything what? was all nice and time? Pleasantville? Oh, Pleasantville. Pleasantville. Yeah, where the, the sister says that this place is kind of creepy when they get yeah. stuck in the show. Yeah. <laughs> She's right, because if the world was perfect all the time and it was like a sunny 1950s little area, like, yeah. And nobody's being real, and your life would be gray. Well, at least it's boring. It's yeah. always perfect. I mean, everybody I mean, knows I, that yeah. Main Street goes down to State Street and turns back onto Main Street. I mean, mm-hmm. outside of Main Street, you can't ever leave. Please. Yeah, that to me okay. is a perfect example of what school wants us to be: is Pleasantville. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. people back especially back in the day do what you're told dress the way you're told hang out with who you're told marry who you're told and don't talk back you know pleasant though be pleasant don't be be heard be seen be not heard right well you're be supposed seen, to not marry you, you know you're supposed to marry you're a star athlete and he's supposed to marry the star cheerleader and when you check those people when you have all we all have friends like that or maybe you've been married to them they all end up in divorce Usually, or oh, no. murder, or some kind of thing. I don't know. I, I don't know many of the wow. things, unless you're from the mid from the Midwest. Then it sort of North Dakota. That's how it, that's how it actually is, Larry. Really? That's right. Yeah. In North Dakota, that's how it, it's still how it is, right? <laughs> I know. I know. More or less. Yeah. I mean, and hey, if you're pleasant, genuinely pleasant, that's fine. That's great. Just keep being pleasant and sick. That's cool with me. But if you want to be different and authentic and paint a different color than you're told, yeah. that's even more okay for me because yeah. that's where people like Shakespeare and all those breakout artists came from is they broke the rules. Yeah. Um, you know, and it worked. Yeah. So to to each their own. We we just want to be there for people who are ready to break the rules or have broken them and need some reassurance that they're on the right path because who knows if it's an authentic path we're not going to recognize the path because it's totally never been done which is cool yeah yeah and, and we really don't know where this thing is going either that's the other part mm-hmm. you know, yeah. hope it works out yeah but it's we're actually, just, we have fun when we get together and do this you know and it also every time we do one of these um I get inspired. I'll get inspired to go back and, you know, finish something I was working on because I've noticed, wow, I've done this self-imposed writer's block because, and I know exactly why, if it's not perfect, if I don't write this as a bestseller, you know, today in this world, it's got to be a bestseller to me, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, this is exactly why you paint over your paintings. My dad paints over his Brad. He paints over them. Every painting's got two paintings. Like the same twisted person. Because he doesn't trust he doesn't trust his art until like years later. 
he'll look back and be like, oh, that was really cool. Uh, whatever happened to that? I'll be like, you painted over it. You fool. So that's why he used acrylics and not oils, and that makes yes, sense. Yes, you're right. Oh. You can't paint over. Well, actually, like you said, that a big controversy with a lot of those old masters was, you know, their 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 protege, their apprentice would would actually paint a lot of those paintings that are really famous, and they would find underneath, you know, they would yep. find other paintings underneath them. So I'm not the only one who's done that. No, oh, and you're fine. I'm just saying that. Dan is a really good artist, but, but try and convince him of that and uh, we'll see how far you get. <laughs> no, but so I, I get what you mean, Larry, because like, I don't know, it, it's a really big, because we used to email back and forth all the time about writing and like, it'd be a really big motivator for me to email with you. But then at the same time, I felt like I couldn't email you unless I had like this amazing breakthrough and like I could give you like this chapter that's going to go straight into whatever novel I'm writing. Yeah, it'll just it'll be automatically. Stellar. I'll and stop it's a what huge I'm doing. Turn off. And yeah. I, it got to a point where every time I sat down at the computer, I had so much anxiety because I'm like, oh my God, like I'm like I'm about to perform. Like I really have to put my all into this, like give everything to this, whatever I'm writing instead of just go through it, edit it, do the whole thing, instead of print it out, you know? And yeah. I feel like now that we started doing the Zoom, like, and I took a little break from writing and I've been trying to draw and do poetry, like, I'm starting to see how toxic that mindset was and I'm relaxing again and I'm actually like writing again and I'm not even thinking about it. And then I'll go back and think, oh, or wasn't I anxious about this just like a couple months ago? And it's like, uh -huh. the anxiety wasn't the writing. The anxiety was, this is going to have to be the best thing I've ever written the next time I sit down on my computer, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't have to go into a book. It, maybe one of these things will, but not all of them, and that's okay. Well, it's, that's huge. It's kind of, Great. It's, like Victor Frankl, he used to t talk about um, paradoxical intention, where what you want to happen, the opposite happens. So if, let's say you're anxious and you're gonna have a panic attack and you try mm -hmm. not to be anxious, that just makes you more anxious. But if oh you're anxious God. and you wanna get rid of that anxiety, you try to be anxious and then it goes away, right? So when you try mm -hmm. to make what you're writing or painting the best thing you've ever written, in my experience, that's the worst crap you're ever gonna do. And it's the stuff that you're about to throw away that your friends look at and they're like, holy crap, what is this? Or let me, this is this is great. Those are the good things. So I've come to pretty much, whatever my gut is, the opposite is true when it comes to being creative. You yeah, I love that, I love that. You've said yeah. on something that really is critical because it's like, I'm going to go by my 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 instincts, right? My gut, and yet my gut isn't always right. I mean, that's part of this whole thing: is you need to have a support, you need to have friends, you need to have somebody that can be honest with you, and somebody that will that understands you, that can help you, because your gut, I mean, and your brain, and your gut, and and your the little voice in your head that's always there, going, that's you know, yeah, it will totally lie to you. How, how do you do? Yeah. Now, my trick, my trick is when I sit down and I'm writing stuff, sometimes I will disappear. I literally disappear. I don't, I'm not happy. I'm not sad. I'm nothing. I'm not even there. I am 
in pure bliss writing the story and my characters come alive and i'm like in china like wait a minute no am i in china no i'm here i'm in san you know like oh my god you know i can then i'm having a great time now i have no no focus whatsoever on the outcome of it if it's good or bad i don't give a shit you know i'm just playing i'm just having a really good time not that i can always do that but that's my goal you know that's my goal when you're, so you're in, in the a, zone you're in a flow state the in zone a flow state. Yeah. yeah and unfortunately with the pandemic things going on and all of the you know and then moving here and all the things that i've had to do it's been really difficult to to get in or maintain the flow because you've got almost constant interruptions you know when you're at home and so if you got kids or if you're a parent or if you're not a parent, i mean just i've got to just cook life. food i've got to go get my own yeah. food you, i don't i never cooked in cambodia why would i go do that people cook for me I'd be like go down walk down the street you know it's like it's crazy that i have to cook stuff i don't even know how to cook i don't even like to cook you know if i could subside on water and 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 those bran muffins or something you know the the original flavorless shakes yeah i'd be happy i think no you like a burrito you love steak larry i was gonna say larry i mean we've already talked about this before but you and i are pretty much the same guy right we we're both hunters as you said the last time we talked I hate wasting, stopping my day to go eat. That's why I eat like one meal a day because I just yeah. don't have time to sit around at breakfast and, you know, it just, it's just a waste of time, right? I'd rather just cool. be working on stuff. Yeah. It's not good for you guys. It's not good for you. And then you've got to learn, like, you know, you've got to eat sure. a good <laughs> breakfast. If you don't eat anything else, if you say good breakfast, then it's fine. Then no. You do need dinner. You do need other meals. Dinner's for like old people. I'm all about the, we call it. I'm all about the supper. That's that's my meal of the day. The supper. Well, yeah. yeah. Where do you live? Like on the east coast or no. middle? What do you think I live? <laughs> hmm. uh, it doesn't sound like where he lives. Yeah, where do I stop? Uh, Alaska. Somewhere in the tornado country. Yeah. Even an hour ahead. North Dakota. North Dakota. North Dakota. Like yeah. like the like the show Fargo, like the movie Fargo. Yeah. Yeah. My oh, second guess would be Oklahoma or uh, what's that one that's just like Oklahoma? They're right next to each other. Actually, that oh, movie Fargo. Yet, that now every time I see a barrel, I think there's a body in it. You know, because of that damn movie. You know, oh it's snowing or something, or like a wood chopper. Is it, no one's ever seen a wood, in California wood chopper. You know, the wood chopper is actually on a block over from my office. Like it's a it's a monument in Fargo. The wood chopper. The one, the one, the really one for the movie. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's kind of scary though. <laughs> That's like a prosthetic. There's a prosthetic foot sticking out of it, so it's, it's a bit much. Don't bring the kids there. You know, Hollywood doesn't do a lot of movies in places like that, and every time they do, like I went to my friend's uh, place in in uh, in I and where was it? It was in uh, Iowa, um, where they built where they filmed Field of Dreams. Oh yeah. It's, it's exactly like the movie. They've left it that way, and you drive out there, and there's the field, and it's you know they've kept everything, and you got to pay to go in. And you're like, oh my god. Tombstone, Tombstone's well, the real place. 
the thing us Fargo people don't like is that the movie was filmed in Minnesota and that accent is a Minnesota accent with the yeah. don't you know, oh sure. I mean, that's a Minnesota yeah. accent. Yeah, that's not North Dakota. But oh, that's oh, funny. I, I hadn't thought about that. You're right. That's, that's <laughs> way I've never Minnesota. heard anybody with that accent before. Kind of uh, like not as common now. Well, that's because you don't listen to Prairie Home Companion. If you were my age, You'd be like the yep. day that old what's his name left, you know, was the yeah. saddest day. Uh, Kip, what the heck's I have some friends from the South Carolina. They don't even have a drawl anymore. Everybody just sounds kind of the same because of the internet, I feel. All the young people. Garrison Keeler. Garrison Keeler. Garrison Keeler. I love yeah. Garrison Keeler. Oh, yeah. he, he turned out to get some in some trouble too, I guess, but I yeah. didn't really he's a good writer yeah oh my gosh he's got he has that that he, that same non-effect on his face you know when he delivers you know what is that alligator Kristen up where you're at <laughs> an alligator it sounded like there's an alligator there it was a, a motorcycle earlier there was a form of bees I was like People oh my plagued god plagued by bees they've you know, that could be the next reality show, The Bee. I think, I think they're just trying to talk to me because they come right up to my face and they just like hang out or try and land on my shoulder. And I'm just always like, get away. Kristen, what, what, shows have you, what shows have you worked on, Kristen? Oh, um, oh gosh, lots. Let's see, Naked and Afraid is the longest one. That was like six years on that. Um, I did the most recent one I did was the pack. It's on Amazon Prime. It was hosted by Lindsay Vaughn, uh, human and their best friend, their dog. Um, six teams of human and dog uh, travel the world and compete against other packs of humans and dogs. Um, it's like the race, the great race. It's like the race, right? The great race or something. It's like that, but, but with your dog. Yeah, it's really That's sweet. Um, let's see. Lots of pilots. Uh, I did Game of Clones, which is interesting because, you know, normal dating shows, um, all different types of people, you have to figure it out. Oh, so the cool part about this is we'd take a celebrity who's looking for love and we find out what personality type they're trying to find and fall in love with and, and who their ideal hottie is so what we do is we find seven women that look identical to their like dream girl and then it narrows it down to where all you have to focus on is the personalities instead of the looks and so then it then it becomes a regular dating show after that but it's really so cool it's not like the celebrity is the one dating instead of just a regular human looking for love you know the regular, regular human. But a lot of, the, a lot of it's never made it on, right? A lot of that stuff never gets on. In the oh, it airs. It, it airs. Oh, it air? mm -hmm. it yeah. We had the Jersey Shore guy, Polly D. He was looking oh. for love. We had one. God, Jersey Shore, they need love over there. Yeah. yeah. No, they need yeah. help. A lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> they need lots of things. Oh, but it was fun. It was an interesting flip. 
you know, because narrow it down to personality, taking looks off the table, basically, like look, check. We don't have to worry about looks. Who are these people now? So they're all the same person. They were literally <laughs> clones. That's the twist. Well, that's the cool part. Is they were all so different personality-wise um, that it, it made for an interesting interesting little show. But mm-hmm. Naked and Afraid was by far the the most intense show I've done for, for the mm-hmm. longest period of time. You produced several of those yourself, right? Were you were the producer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I eventually got promoted to be in charge of producing the behind-the-scenes, the Bears All episodes which um, the stuff we didn't have time to show in the main show because uh, we're filming 24 hours a day for 21 days. Wow. Yeah, so that's a lot of storylines. So one has the fun, embarrassing moments or dr- dramatic moments we just didn't have time to show, like love connections or just interesting. They're my favorite. They're, they're the best ones, I think. <laughs> Because I'm ADD too, so I like a lot of different topics that are funny and not just so one story the whole way through. Anyway. How long did it take to not be awkward with naked people around all the time? Like a couple days, a couple weeks? Yeah, it, it, it didn't take as long as you would think. After a couple hours of scrolling wow. through the people, it's just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. It just disappears, huh? Unless they're like something really... <laughs> like, but most of the time, yeah, it's uh, it's just bad. It's white noise. It doesn't even phase you. Doesn't even phase you us. Blur that out. You have to blur all that out too, don't you? The yeah, for the final, for the final episode that airs, we blur it. But there's no way we can blur all the raw footage that I have to go through. <laughs> so it's definitely like you're just like, oh, there it is. Squirrel yeah. past that. Yeah. Make sure her knuckles aren't showing. Okay, copy that. It's pretty funny, um, yeah, but like, it's not as bad as you think. It's not porn, so yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah, that I don't think. I saw it. I was I was thinking this is going to be you know I, I thought it would be like semi porn, and in a few minutes you're I kind of funny you story. Realize like this beautiful girl that's from LA made a major mistake because it's night and it's dark. She's getting the shit bit out of her and they don't have any mosquito repellent. She won't listen to him and he won't listen. And you're going like, oh my God, this is, I've been in this situation before. Except you weren't naked. Not naked. Sometimes I was naked and I was in that situation, but it's, it's, it's. You're always naked underneath your clothes. Yeah. But it, that the nakedness is just a, a divert. That's just a that complicates things, and not because of sexuality. It means getting bit, right? Your people oh, yeah. shit bit bit out. On every- There's a reason why we all wear clothes and shoes now. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I thought they came back from Cambodia. That they they did a shoot there, and it looked like I was in one of those army wards. Return battle wards. You know, guys were on crutches and people were in wheelchairs. Other people had band aids, and they're like, "What happened?" Just they got through filming the last episode on an island yeah. in Cambodia. Our crew's been attacked by killer bees and had to hide in lakes. And it's not just the the cast members that go through the. How many on the crew? How many on the crew is shooting that? Oh, well. 
that depends. I mean, it's, you know, you've got medics, you've got um, PAs, APs, um, a lot of guys, um, game, game people that, you know, back at home base with the guns just in case a lion attack or something, you know. Does that ever happen where somebody gets attacked by? They're, they've been face-to-face with them. Luckily, nothing is knocking on wood right now. Yeah. Because, holy shit, I don't know how the, they're still alive. I mean, our our main boss, Steve Rankin, he was bit on a scout through through his eyelet where the, the shoelaces go through. A, a viper, I think it was a viper snake or yeah, I think he's got in the, the eyelet of his shoe and he had like years of surgery. Luckily, he, he's got both his legs, so he's fine now, but Jesus. Wow. So a yeah, viper snake, you can, you can lose your leg from paralysis, right? Or is that it? Or... Well, yeah, the venom, it, just, it starts like eating your Skin. eating your flesh. And oh, he yeah. had to have flesh taken from other parts of the body and put on there. And, oh, oh, my God. Yeah, it's intense. Um, you, the funny story about the name, just to go back a little bit, um, when before Naked and Afraid was a thing, one of the development guys came up to me late at night when I was about to go home. No one else was there. And he comes up to me and he's like, so when I say the word, when I say the name Naked and Afraid, what do you think of? And I was like, uh, dude. <laughs> Like I need to oh. run away from you right now. Like, what are you dying? Are you it sounds like a horrible, horrible rape show. Yeah. Something, you know? Like, really? And I was like, Yeah, it scares me. I, I don't. Why? What is it? And he's like, oh, I'm just trying to come up with a name for the show. And I was like, Okay, I don't know about that name. But then, you know, when I found out what it was for, you know, a week or so later, I was like, oh, Okay, that that that's totally different than what I thought. <laughs> actually saying that's the first thing I thought when I saw it on the TV I was like what the hell is this is yeah. this legal what did they put this yeah. out here for actually if oh, we no. called our site naked and creatively unworthy I think we could probably get a good fall yeah. probably sell it <laughs> that would be a good idea we'll all be in bikinis next time or the camera will be just like chest yeah. up and all this yeah. we'll be like, would you come on Brian if it was just <laughs> naked <laughs> They'd run him out of North Dakota if he showed up yeah. naked on a TV show. The <laughs> job might be obviously about be fired, that. At least that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It's funny. Yes, did that. Um, doing a behind-the-scenes quick video to add to the Verzal of all the staff in the office naked while they're editing, just to make the cast feel more comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, guys, that would... we're doing it too. Yeah, we should. Next time we all win anything, what do you get for doing naked and afraid? Nothing is not worth what you go through. Holy crap! It's not like they don't get anything. But it's not like what you think it'd be worth. Like people do it to be the the hero, to be the you know all star survivalist. They they do it for the glory. Is what most of them. I, I I want to live. I want to keep my. I mean, it's pretty. Whoever came, the, the guy that came up with it, it's pretty smart because you don't have to pay any of those people to go out and risk their lives doing this shit. No I mean, costumes, you do have to do something, but it's not like 
basketball players get or what you know Paul, there's no it's not the amazing race winnings type deal it's mm-hmm. just you get some money and a you get, IOU card. You get to be the the human that's living primitive, and the, and there's a big community. They of pay primitive your hospital bills. It's very nice. Yeah, they'll pay your. Has the any of them gone on to other things made from that show? Is yeah, there- I mean, there's a lot of all stars that that have been on numerous new versions of Naked and Afraid. Now we have all-stars uh where it's the veterans come back that have been on the show before and then you did it once and you want to come back to do it again yeah now we have the tribes uh i saw tribes i saw Mm -hmm. that they they i'm sure they all have like their own youtube channels and everything now um but but i think mainly they just love being on the show, most of the time they, they're not too mad about how they're portrayed, you know, because there's so many different ways you can be portrayed yeah. with the right um, editing. So it's it oh, takes yeah. a lot of time to, 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 to come it's, back. I heard on Some, a lot of reality shows they really kind of are mean with the editing where they, they make you sound way worse than you are. Like there was this yeah. cosplayer that uh, my fiance follows where she went on one of those fashion designing shows mm-hmm. and her and her friend went on it and they told them both different things about each other to kind of pit them against each other. And then when they were interviewing them, they'd be like, sound angry at her. Mm-hmm. And they're like, why? Stirring the pot, making yeah. viewers want to watch because apparently they love drama. Yeah. I don't know if that's true. I think the network just thinks it's true. Maybe it is true. I don't well, know. In writing, drama is equals it equals conflict. Conflict equals drama, and that's what people want to feel safe to sit back and watch a show that they don't have to get naked and they don't have to be afraid, but they can relate to it. But know? they can if they want to. Yeah, they can watch it naked if they want to. It's fine. Most yeah. people will never, you know, volunteer to go, jo- you know, become a Navy SEAL or Army Ranger. But they'll tell yeah. all their friends that they really want to be. Huh? Yeah. What? I want to stay on the earth. I'll never be an astronaut. I know that for sure. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to be an astronaut. No. I'll stay well, on the earth. Thank you very much. You guys, I think we're close to out of overtime. Oh, yeah. We Back were, to- but I paid for it. I, I don't want to keep renewing our session so yeah. i went and i bought a subscription to zoom so oh, thank you i was being really cheap before and i really didn't want to but i was like it's either that or interrupt everybody and be like guys we have to pause it so we can come back so then we can do it again and then... yeah. that's great we'll yeah. we'll go in on that cost dad and i will to help oh, with that because that's don't worry i'll just ask my dad <laughs> it was his grocery money he gave me anyways I'll yeah, just like, hey, yeah I felt really I felt really bad yeah. for Rebecca and she's spending all this time and then when she told me I was asking her about where she lived and you know she's right on the ocean you know I said oh, how close to the ocean well right on the ocean I mean it's not <laughs> she's not near the ocean she's not by yeah. the ocean my backyard is a dock it is just an ocean yeah I'm coming over. We have to barbecue. 
We should be yeah. on the dumbest. Like kayaks are my dad's, and he's kind of territorial with them because he feels like if anybody drowns, it will be his fault, and then he'll lose his medical license. Everybody oh will hate God. him, and all blah blah blah. No, but over. that's how he doesn't say it like that. But that's how it sounds to me. Yeah. <laughs> Every time. No, he that's what he's thinking. I'm sure. Yeah. That is. <laughs> not but to criticize, uh, Dad. I know you watch a podcast. I love you. I'm not criticizing yeah. you, and I respect your oh things. Stop <laughs> that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Brian, you haven't said anything in a while. I feel bad because you, you're our guest. So I'm put you on the spot. How are you? How do you feel about the podcast so far? I uh I enjoy listening to you guys banter. It's entertaining. <laughs> yeah, there is banter. But we're gonna um you know, we kinda also want to use you as a resource too, because of your um Brain. data knowledge of Sure. I'd like to have you back on a couple times if that's possible. If that's okay. Yeah. What's it? What's it? Pay? Very little. It love. Affectionate fans. We not have union. Many fans. Yeah. Many love. How many are we up to now? Uh, besides us. Uh, <laughs> probably like ten people. So ten people. Okay. Yeah. on the ground floor. I didn't think it was that broad. Yeah. <laughs> Delicate. No, but we're just hopefully this evolves into something. Um, 12. I just looked it up. 12. Wow. Yeah, 12 whole people would watch you know, this. I, I like to That's watch documentaries, and I just got through watching Steven Spielberg's documentary. And he is a, he recently came out by, you know, came out as being dyslexic, which I knew he was the whole time. And when you listen to this documentary, he is so off the scale, ADD and dyslexic. He's got 20 projects going at the same time. And I'm not talking about simple, I'm talking about, you know, Schindler's List type projects, you know, huge things. When he did Jaws, he didn't even have a finished script. He just jumped into, you know, he's like a quick start and figured that, you know, he was just enjoying the process of it, but they didn't even know where, you know, it's amazing when you read when you when you hear somebody who has um, his whole life, you know, you think, well, this guy is this creative genius. How does he do it? And then you find out, like, I, I've known about this, his producer, this woman, Kathleen Kennedy, you go back and look at look at Jaws, look at anything, look at um, it's got so many movies, you can't even start, you'll always see Kathleen Kennedy, she's his farmer. And she was on on the documentary, and you hear her talking about him like she's the farmer. I mean, she doesn't say she's a farmer, but she's the dots the eyes, make sure he shows up on time, make sure he has the script, make sure the script is da -da 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 -da, all of that stuff, which allows him to have an environment where he can play and do these outrageous things, you know. Right. And be and he hangs out. He's got a group like this, and it, of course it's George Lucas him. Yeah. And you know other, you know, other we're cool. People. We're like George Lucas. Hey, cool. um, he paints. You yeah. write. She sings. There's I a, float around. All those things. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. it's building a team like that is uh is very helpful. And if you watch documentaries with an eye, to you know, with the looking for similarities in your own life, you'll find them. You know, like people like that. It's just, I found, here's one of, 
here's one of the, the things that I think separates the Steven Spielbergs from like a lot of us. He had a happy family. He had a supportive mother and father. And Disgusting. usually with people that are dyslexic or ADD, especially ADD, you know, there's usually a lot of addiction, alcohol and all that kind of stuff that doesn't create for a happy environment. But th th as a kid, he just, he, you know, he grew up in a really in a great, great life. So did George Lucas. You know, you find out a lot of these guys, you sort of, oh, that's why they were able to blossom, you know, and, and make movies and have your father see you as a young kid making a movie at nine years old and go buy you movie equipment. I mean, yeah. what? Who in the hell, you know, if I would have known that, I would have gotten Krista, I would have, I've told this to Krista before, but when I first heard her as the artful Dodger in a, what was the name of that play? What's the Oliver. Uh, Oliver. It, the, the whole audience froze. I mean, every when she came out on stage and she sang and she spoke her lines and stuff, everybody was in shock. Like, how could this 14-year-old girl have this voice and do all this. Now, what I should have done was quit my job, become her agent, you know, do the stuff like you see all these parents that are, you know, but instead I was, you know, paying spousal support in the divorce, trying to get laid with, you know, you blah, busy. Blah, 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 blah. I was busy. You, were busy. you know, unfortunately, busy that's where life. a lot of parents find themselves. And instead of, yeah. instead of putting that focus on their kids, but that's well, just the problem is you had a life. That's why most of those yeah. state moms, they don't have their own lives. They no. live vicariously through their kids. So who knows who would have turned out to be if, if you had done that. I know you could have done it. I'm okay. Yeah. I, I turned Some out of those cases, okay. like you hear pe parents that are really, they put all that pressure on their kid. And sometimes instead of turning into like a Steven Spielberg, you turn into like. Yeah, they hate it. Yeah. Britney Spears, where she gets yeah. really anxiety about yeah. everything. If you've seen her documentary, her like dad is or, basically in charge of her whole life still. And just Michael like, Jackson is another example of parents, yeah. the dad that was yeah. the crazy dad. I mean, some people, yeah. sometimes people just need to find their own like space. What did they say that uh, the lotus flower grows in like the worst conditions? Is that what they say? The lotus is one of the most beautiful flowers. It Who's grows in like the dirtiest muck conditions. In... I don't know, scientists or botanists. So sometimes uh, not having what you want helps keep you going, striving, you know. So if I had gotten everything I wanted when I was little, maybe I would have just given up by now, you know. You never know. Yeah. So don't beat yourself up as my dad. <laughs> it's no, not I... your fault. I don't. I I was. I'm more self-centered, thinking about my own self right now. I'm joking. Because I have tons of music on um, available for people. I'm just not. It's not my. I don't want to. I don't need to be Britney Spears. <laughs> I just want to be able to post my music and you know not get laughed off the. You're having a hard time hearing me, Kristen. <laughs> You're getting feedback, but. Oh. But that's okay. Anyway, we should probably end this. Um, anyway, we should, yeah, this is good though. And um, the next time, now that I know what you do, Brad, I'll, I'll be more prepared with some uh, questions that can that can help 
Yeah, maybe, maybe you could be the next victim on Naked and Afraid, you know? Or really interrogate you too, so you feel like, yeah. you know, have any secrets on this podcast. Yeah, we're real scary. We're bullies, if you can tell. It was, the show would be called Data and Afraid. That's not bad. I like that. You have to, you'll be at your job, except you'll be completely naked with your whiteboard, you know, filling out everything for everybody. And people are going to come and go, what the hell is going on with him? Your boss comes to your office, oh my God, what are you doing? I'm on a show. Well, excuse okay. me, I'm zooming. I am zooming. Did you not see the sign on my door? No. Yeah. My process. There's a sign on that door. What? what was that? We didn't hear you. Yeah, you liked that. Is that me or you guys? That was you. you. I don't. I oh, didn't that was say, you. You didn't say anything. So keep keep going. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, let's kind of wrap. Give it the old wrap up. All right. End of our podcast. Yay! Okay. Thank you for Thank coming you on. It was really nice. Thank you, Brad. Your excuse. Always late over waiting totally